0: Luke 23, verses 26 through 43. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? To others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one, For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Grass withers, flower fades, word of our God stands forever. You pray with me. Father, help us this morning again as we have opened up your word. We thank you that you are the God who has spoken to us, and we ask now for ears to hear what you would have for us to say, that our hearts would be illumined with your truth, that we might know you more fully and rejoice in you more fully. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke, and this is now our fourth week in the 23rd chapter. We've gotten to quite a few uh, sermons. Actually, this is... This is an even 100 now. I tried to get the whole book done in 100, and I didn't make it. But so we're stuck here in the 23rd chapter, and I'm tempted, you know, to just, I could have flown through this because it's such a familiar passage. We all know the story. We know the crucifixion, the gospels record these details uh, the most, and so we could just move on, but I'm deciding to, to really try to slow down a little bit and just dig into some of the unique details that are going on in this account. The first thing we talked about was the, the broad theme of the innocence of Jesus. And we see this through the, the whole chapter. There's the kind of scandalous reality that Jesus isn't guilty. And and all these people know it. Pilate and Herod and the daughters of Jerusalem and the thief and the, and the centurion at the cross. They all are aware that Jesus doesn't really deserve to die. And then we looked at that theme. But then we looked at... The reality of the Jesus confession of himself as the King of the Jews—that Jesus is King—and he confesses so to Pilate. And then last week we looked at the another large theme in the twenty-third chapter: the the foolishness of the gospel. How how silly! How how what what a what a. And interesting or foolish is the only way, the way Paul talks about the foolishness of the gospel that we worship a crucified Savior. Why is it that we have a cross that is the thing that we have as a symbol of our faith and the foolishness, the worldly foolishness of Jesus going to the cross, which is really the wisdom of God done so to save sinners? And so we're moving forward then in the text and. This morning I want to talk about this interesting, it's, it's unique to Luke. Luke is the only one who records this saying, this conversation between the daughters of Jerusalem and Jesus. So that starts in verse 28 where they have this interaction. A few weeks ago, I mentioned this is likely genuine uh, sorrow that this group feels over the mistreatment of Jesus. They, they see, and that was during the innocence, the theme, one of the themes of innocence is that this isn't an, an, an honest group, not, uh, not, not sort of um, paid grievers, which they existed in those days, of a, people who would come and sing a dirge at a funeral or whatever. These are likely innocent, or actually genuinely sorrowful a group of people. They are weeping or the travesty and the murder of an innocent man. And it seems as though they are genuine because nowhere does, does Jesus belittle them for their false grief. He doesn't say, stop weeping for me, you don't mean it. Their, their grief is real. But he does say something even more puzzling. I mean, you try to put yourself in this scenario of, of here is an innocent man who has just spent the night uh, being beaten, he's been flogged, he's been whipped, he's been given this crown of thorn, pressed down upon his head, they've plucked out his beard, they've spit upon him, and now they've, they've put a cross on his back and he gets out and he can only get so far with it. They have Simon of Siren come along, he's, just, he's, just, he's, he's been tortured to the end of his life, essentially being led away to the cross. And to to the place where they're going to, on the hill, the place of the skull, Golgotha, they're going to nail him to a piece of wood and then drop it into the ground and and let him suffocate and die, essentially, is what the plan is. So this is a a horrible ordeal, and he deserves none of it. And so then as a result, doesn't it seem sensible (laughs) that this group of people who are looking at this event going on and are weeping over the injustice that's happening? That makes sense. They're overcome with grief, and so Jesus responds to them. But he responds with a statement that's far from what you would expect. If you you take time to read it and just kind of let that hit you, he tells them, Don't weep for me. Don't weep for me. You think, Well, what do you mean, Jesus? What else is there to weep for in this situation? He's the one who is suffering all of this unjust judgment, all of this punishment. If if you can't weep for Jesus in this scenario, what are you supposed to weep for? But that is what he says. He says, don't grieve. Do not weep for me. Daughters of Jerusalem, verse 28, do not weep for me. I want you to see the awkwardness of that statement. Why shouldn't they weep for Jesus? Doesn't the reality of his circumstances demand that they weep for him? You get what I'm saying? I don't think that's a big, like a like you don't get what I'm saying there. This is a giant injustice going on. the, The circumstances would demand that they would weep for Jesus, but he says, don't weep for me. And that's supposed to sound odd to our ears. That should make us pause when we're reading through the gospel, we're asking questions. Why would he say such a thing as that? It makes sense to weep for Jesus, but he says no. If we aren't to weep for Jesus in this circumstance, then what's worth weeping over? If if this is not worth weeping over, what is worth weeping for? And that's the point Jesus is highlighting, right? The people that he says they should instead be weeping for are themselves and their children. Don't weep for me going to the cross. Weep for yourselves and for your children an idea out of the text this morning is weep not for Christ, but for yourself. Don't weep for me. He says, weep for yourself. Weep for your children. And they think these this daughters of Jerusalem, they are carrying a worldly sorrow for Jesus, but nothing more. Now, this is, uh, there's something really interesting going on in the text that we're not going to spend a bunch of time in, but Jesus is predicting again the destruction of Jerusalem. He calls them specifically the daughters of Jerusalem. And there is this rejection of the Jewish faith towards Jesus as their Messiah. And so these daughters of Jerusalem, they are are weeping for him, but at the same time rejecting him as their king, rejecting him as Messiah. And so Jesus, as he's earlier predicted in Luke 21, is talking about this day that's coming when the stones of the walls of Jerusalem are going to be torn down. And that happens in A.D. 70. Jesus is a true prophet. And so this gospel written before 70, many of the gospels written before 70, before this event happens, record this, going, this uh, reality It's going to happen that in A.D. 70, the Romans are going to actually sack Jerusalem and it's going to be gone. And so he's saying in one sense, don't weep for me Weep for yourselves and for your children. Some of them might still be there. It's only 40 years away right now. Some of them might still be there, but their children will still be there. Weep for yourselves because judgment is coming. That's what he's saying. It's clearly in sight. When Jesus says that he he claims it's better for those to never have been born than those who have been to stay alive and to deal with the judgment that is coming. And that's on one level what he's saying. There's judgment is coming. Don't weep for me, Jesus says. Don't weep weep superficially for what's going on in my life. Jesus knows how this is going to play out, right? He knows he's going to a a horrendous death, but he knows in three days he's going to resurrect from the dead. He knows that God is going to raise him. This is part of him accomplishing his purpose. It's amazing to look at this and see Jesus' control throughout the whole event talking. I mean, after all of this, this, this horrible night that he's gone through, he has enough presence of mind to have a conversation with the daughters of Jerusalem. He has enough presence of mind to have a conversation with the thief at the cross. He's, he's not lost control. Jesus is, Jesus is in charge of everything that's going on here, and he's going to the cross, and he's having these conversations. So he's saying, this grief over me is a superficial grief. The grief that you need to have is over the judgment that is coming for you, for you and for your children if you do not see me for who I am. That's the severe reality that Jesus is laying out. Christ's punishment is not as worrisome, as horrible as that judgment is. And as unfair as that judgment is, it is not as worrisome as the punishment for those coming Coming to those who are apart from Christ. Imagine with me a scene in which you, you come upon a, a house that has gone up in flames and it's just lying in rubble. And you go you go to the house, you stop, and there's the owner out and the, across the street, the next yard, and they're they're weeping and they're sorrow, You know, they've just their their house is laying in shambles in front of them. And you put their arms around them and you're you're giving them comfort and and trying to just you know just be there. And, and you hear the words coming out of their mouth. As they're laying there weeping in their houses in destruction, and they say, I lost that grocery list. I can't believe I, I, I've lost. How will I know what to get at the store? I've lost a grocery list. Wouldn't you at that point say, you yeah, something a little worse than that's happened here, right? There's something you should not weep over your grocery list because that is, that is a, a superficial worry. You just look at what's happened around you. I mean, that person's obviously delirious at that point. But th- this, in that moment, they're kind of missing the big picture, aren't they? They're weeping over a superficial thing. Write another grocery list. They're, they're, they're weeping over a, a superficial reality, which, which granted is horrible. The, 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 the murder of Jesus is a horrible, uh, atrocious sin committed upon the world. But think of what it means then. When Jesus says, at the gravity of this crucifixion is nothing to weep for compared to the judgment that is coming. That is sobering. That is sobering. Likewise, this crowd is missing the greater tragedy by only being able to see the grief that is temporarily right in front of them. It's weeping for the grocery list that you lost when your house is burnt down. Jesus is seeing with this shocking statement, seeking with this shocking statement to get them to wake up to the urgent reality of their lives. The question that it forces them to ask and us also is the question that if we view this event in the life of Christ and only see his worldly sorrow, and we only see what what a horrible thing this is to have happen to such a nice man, if we only see that, or do we see that his worldly sorrow is because of our sin, that Christ is going to the cross because sinners like you and me and all of us, our rebellion against God is, is a, such a, a great... Such such a huge hurdle that it's costing Christ to go to the cross to pay the debt for our sin. And our only concern is that an innocent man is suffering instead of the sinners that have made that cross necessary. Don't weep for me, Jesus says. Weep instead for yourselves if you can't see the place that you're in. Listen to these comments. This is from Matthew Henry. He's got a great commentary on all of scripture. There's a condensed one you can get. There's Matthew Henry's, just a great commentator. But listen to what he says regarding this passage. He says, When with an eye of faith we behold Christ crucified, we ought to weep, not for him, but for ourselves. We must not be affected with the death of Christ as with the death of a common person whose calamity we pity, Or of a common friend whom we are likely to part with. The death of Christ was a thing peculiar. It was his victory and triumph over his enemies. It was our deliverance and the purchase of eternal life for us. And therefore, let us weep. Not for him, but for our own sins and the sins of our children that were the cause of his death. And weep for fear. Such were the tears here prescribed. Weep for fear of the miseries we shall bring upon ourselves if we slight his love and reject his grace as the Jewish nation did, which brought upon them the ruin here foretold. Let us weep then not for him but for our own sins, the sins of our children that were the cause of his death. And weep for fear of the miseries we shall bring upon ourselves if we slight his love and reject his grace as the Jewish nation did, which brought upon them their ruin foretold. There's a sobriety about your own life that is necessary for the gospel to have any real impact If we live our lives looking only at the superficial aspects of it, we may be convinced that things are quite okay when in reality they aren't. We're looking at the superficiality. You can look at the superficiality of Jesus and see how bad it is and just consider that and not consider the eternal realities. But you can also look at the superficial good things of life and then assume that everything is fine because you aren't considering the bigger realities. What are the bigger realities the daughters of Jerusalem aren't seeing? They're concerned for the worldly judgment that's coming upon Jesus, but they do not have their eyes opened to the cosmic and eternal judgment that is coming for all of mankind. Now, it's coming to the nation of Israel in AD 70 for the rejection of Jesus, but further out beyond that, there is a day of judgment, the day of the Lord coming and it is over that there is a real sorrow to weep over everyone who clings to their sin until their grave will come under the just judgment of god hebrews 9:27 says and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes the judgment hebrews 9:27 this ought to be a sobering reality in our lives it's ought to wake us up out of our slumber of superficiality into the seriousness of our true standing before a holy and righteous God. If you are stuck in superficiality or those around you are, you ought to weep, not for Christ who had to go to the cross, but weep for yourselves with repentance and please for mercy because of the impending judgment. The good news is that the writer of Hebrews goes on saying in verse 28 that after this, and it's just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because he's already done that in the cross, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is what makes the gospel such incredibly good news. It is always what brings us to another shocking, it's what brings us to another shocking turn of events in this narrative. So we had the first shocking thing of don't weep for me, Jesus says, which is like, how can he say not weep for me? But the second odd thing is this, this thief's request on the cross. They're all three hanging there right, on the cross. We've been thinking about Jesus' command not to weep for him. But think about the the impertinence of the request of this thief on the cross. All three of them nailed up on these wooden crosses, waiting their own death. And what does the thief say? Hey, while we're up here, can you think of me? Think of me? The thief asked Jesus, as he's hanging on a cross, after his night of suffering, to think of him. Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, Jesus, remember me. What an odd thing. What an odd thing as as they're all hanging there for this man to ask for Jesus to think of him. How does Jesus not reply, well, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm I'm a little busy right now. I've got a few things going on. I mean, how does he not say that? And I don't mean to be blasphemous or make light of the cross, but I mean, honestly, he's got a lot going on right there. But Jesus is in command. He knows what's going on. This is not a shock to him. Instead, what do we hear? We hear the heart of mercy toward the one who has broken through the superficiality of life. If anyone's broken through the superficiality of life, it's the thief on the cross. He knows it's bad. He knows judgment is coming his way. He knows justice is is deserved and coming for him. And because he has abandoned superficiality, he now sees clearly and he knows, Jesus, I need your mercy. Jesus, I need your help. We hear, and then we hear, praise God, the heart of mercy toward the one who has broken through the superficiality of the things of life has looked soberly at their own condition and makes an appeal to the one who can truly do something about it. Question is, can we get past our own superficiality and take a hard look at what's really going on? First and foremost, can we get over the condition, the superficiality over the condition of our own souls? Do we look at our lives and make merely superficial pronouncements? I'm doing okay. I'm relatively happy. Uh, My marriage is not a total shambles. Uh, You know, my kids are doing okay. Uh, My job's going all right. My bank account, people don't hate me. I'm nice to people. Um, You know, a lot of people smile at me. Uh, A lot of people know me. I'm well-liked. You know, and, and you can look at your life and through a very superficial pronouncement, Think surely everything is okay. And that is the daughters of Jerusalem weeping for Jesus, never considering the serious state that they were in. Do we look at those things and consider ourselves in good shape? Well, if so, then we are those Jesus says, don't weep for me but you need to start weeping for yourself. We have fallen asleep to our need for a rescuer. We have closed our eyes to the sin that separates us from God. We have closed our eyes to the call of God to trust in Christ and not ourselves. We have not reached the sobriety of the thief on the cross who has broken through his own superficiality and says, I know what I deserve. Jesus, I need you. But not only there in our superficiality over our own selves, we look at the superficiality in our marriage, in our personal lives, in our friendships, our ministries, our volunteering. Are we able to scrub away all of these superficial veneers that cover us? They make us think we're all right when maybe we really aren't. Maybe things aren't so great as we like to just take the superficial pronouncements and say, well, you know, it, it, we, we've got a nice veneer going here. And are we ignoring the heart of the issue. Can we get past our superficiality enough to, like the thief on the cross, give an honest appeal to Jesus to save us? To make the appeal, like the, the, uh, the man in the, uh, the tax collector before Jesus, before the altar, the Pharisees, you know, God, I thank you, and all this other guy, and the tax collector, all, all he can say. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's broken through the superficiality of life to make an honest appeal to this God who can save them. Well, let me appeal to you this morning to have today be a day where we face the honest truth about ourselves. And may God help us to do so so that we'll be able to see. And the reason why we want to do this is not just to beat up on ourselves. Uh, You know, it isn't just, well, I think you all feel too good about yourselves, so I want you to leave feeling worse about yourselves. That isn't the goal. The goal is to break through the superficiality, the the surface pronouncements about ourselves so we can see the reality of our divided hearts, of our sinful hearts, of our rebellion. We can see them clearly so that we can then cry out to Christ, cry out to this one who truly can save, cry out to this one who has bore our sins upon the tree has given himself for the forgiveness of the sins of every one of us in this place this morning. Repenting and trusting in Christ can be forgiven. The the reason why we want to shed off and get rid of this superficial veneer is so that seeing ourselves clearly, we might truly see the glory of the gospel, that God would save a sinner like you and like me. Not because of what I've done, but because of his amazing grace. This morning as we come to communion, let's not come as a superficial activity. And I mean, take five seconds, 30 seconds, whatever you gotta take on the way up to break through. This is not, a, this is not meant to be some superficial routine that we just go through. But Father, I, this, that, that I want to pray, and Father, this morning, I want to come not as routine, but as one desperately in need for the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ to cover me so that I would not face the judgment, but face and be surrounded by your favor through the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning. Give us eyes to cut through the veneers that we work so hard to cover ourselves with. We want others to think, Things are okay about us. And we want to be able to look in the mirror and pretend like things are okay as well if we just cover ourselves with enough superficiality. Father, my prayer this morning is that we would learn the admonition from Jesus to not weep over this thing that's happening on the outside, but to weep over the, the, the realities of our own hearts to weep over our own divided nature, to weep over our own sinfulness and to cry out like the thief on the cross, remember me, have mercy on me. Father, do that work in our hearts, we pray, that our joy in the gospel would rise up and fill us with the joy that is found only in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.